0: Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com.
1: Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host this week, Clayton Baumgarth, sitting in for Bob Zaltzberg with my co-host, Benta Boutier. Today, we're talking with guests about the best way to begin and upkeep your garden throughout the year. We've got three guests with us today. Edward Ullman, the Purdue with Purdue Extension Monroe County, he's the ex- Extension Educator for Agriculture and Natural Resources. Ellen Jekhart, chair of the Monroe County Identify and Reduce Invasive Species and former president of the Indiana Native Plant Society. And finally, Ramsey Harik, owner of Deep Roots Garden Center and Landscape Design. Thank you all for being here today. Appreciate it. This is one of our most popular shows, so we're going to get a lot of calls in here today. Hope we can take a lot of questions from the community. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter at Noon Edition or at News at Indiana Media org or join us on the air at eight one two eight five five zero. 811 or toll free at 877 285 9348. I want to start with just introducing the guys and late gals that are joining us today on the show. Uh, We'll start with Edward. So tell us a little bit about what you do um, with forestry from Purdue. Tell me a little bit about what you do in your day to day.
2: Yeah, so uh, I just started a couple months back um, as the Purdue Extension Educator here in Monroe County. Um, so, for those not familiar with extension, um, there is an extension office in all 92 counties, and um, it's through uh, what's called the Land-Grant Institute. Um, so in Indiana, that is Purdue University, and um, it's a way to connect the public or the community with uh, the most current up-to-date research and topics and education that's happening on universities. So that's kind of my role here in Monroe County is specializing with the agriculture natural resources side of things um, my professional and educational background is more forestry so I really prefer answering questions about uh, trees and nature but um, I also uh, am happy to take questions about beef production or this morning I had a question about ducks so awesome um, we'll we'll find the resources and help you out with whatever it is. And you host a pretty good trivia night, too, if you get a chance to go
1: (laughs) check out that. Uh, Also joining us on the show, like I mentioned earlier, is Ellen Jakehart, chair of the Monroe County Invasive Species Group. Um, We're going to get questions, I'm sure, about what to look out for, but what's top of mind for you this season and things to look out for?
3: Oh, gosh. I mean, with all the invasive plants that are turning green right now, like Asian bush honeysuckle, that's what I think people are really noticing. But jumping worms is something that we're just becoming aware of in the county and uh, something that our group is focusing education on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And finally, Ramsey, the master gardener, native plant steward and decades of landscaping experience. Uh, what are you looking forward to this season? Do you have any uh, that you're looking to get out the door? you think that are going to be a big hit this year?
4: Well, we are um, a landscape design company. We're no longer a garden center, but we specialize in native plants. So we're very excited about native plants, and we're um, very happy that both uh, uh, Ellen and I are, are here to talk about you know, the importance of native plants as part of uh, one's gardening philosophy and, and landscaping philosophy. And we can talk a lot more about that and why um, natives are so important and invasives are so important. Um, uh, uh, unimportant. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, and uh, so yeah, that we just have a lot of uh, good good projects going on, both residential and commercial. Um, and it's always fun to see the the results of the projects that we did in the last couple of years, as as the plants we planted mature. So, awesome. what's it
5: mean to be a master gardener? Like, what sounds very cool?
4: It's Edward's
2: pro- program, so he can tell you all about it. <laughs> Uh, Master Gardener, it's a program that uh, started uh, many years ago, but it's now in all 50 states. And it is chaired through Extension usually. But uh, the whole intent is to um, create a, a group of uh, gardeners or garden enthusiasts that are educated in, uh, well-educated in various topics, various uh, forms of gardening, and then they work with the community as like an outreach part of extension to help spread the word as uh, their volunteer hours. Um, It might be putting on uh, working in a garden, it might be uh, teaching a class, uh, answering questions. Uh, We have a garden fair coming up April 15th at uh, Switchyard Park and that's, uh, that's an opportunity for the community to come out. And ask your questions to our uh, plant doctor. You can uh, pick up a couple plants if you want to buy some plants, uh, and just uh, interact with some of um, our—I don't want to call them professional gardeners, but uh, very knowledgeable gardens and gardeners of the community. So,
5: okay, I'm sorry. Um, that's a cool title too, plant doctor. So, what's that? Someone brings their plant. Can they bring like a potted plant to you, or?
2: We prefer not to uh, transport plants because as uh, Ellen and Ramsey can talk about, you know, that's uh, a great way to transport other things such as jumping worms. But uh, you know, bring your pictures or email them to me and we'll, uh, we'll do some diagnostics and help share, you know, hey, it could be it needs a fungicide or something or it could be as simple as you're just putting too much water on it, you know. sure. So. I got to start a little bit selfishly here. So I uh, recently
1: purchased my first home here locally and I have a lot of landscaping to do. My yard is an absolute disaster. My gardens don't exist yet. But I'm kind of curious, whoever wants to take it, what are some great tips for a first-time gardener, someone that wants to really get started in this endeavor?
4: I'd say have a professional come out and take a look at it <laughs> and, uh, and give you tips on uh, what your conditions are because a, a, a professional will see things that you don't see. Uh, they'll they'll see uh, whether you have invasives, they'll see the, your light conditions, they'll see your soil conditions, they'll see any um, runoff problems you might have, any weed problems that need addressing. So uh, have someone come out and take a look at it and then talk to them about um, what you might be able to do and what you might want to have them do. Absolutely. Ellen, what do you think? you agree with that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will say that um, through MC Iris, uh, we do give free invasive surveys to anybody in the county who's interested. And you can go to our website, mc iris.org, and sign up for one of those. And when we come out, we will just sort of lay out for you, here are the invasive species that you've got, here's an action plan for how you can address those invasive species. We'll also give you some information on um, the native plants that you might have and, and landscaping alternatives for the invasives that might be in your landscaping, like burning bush. Um, <laughs> but um, that's, that's one easy way just to have somebody come out and take a look and give you some advice.
2: Sure. Well, I think another uh, beneficial place to start, too, would be a uh, soil test. And we have uh, some great, uh, great help here in Monroe County with our SWCD, Soil Water Conservation District. Um, And one of the ladies over there, Hannah, she's really great with soil testing. And um, it's a small fee. I'm not sure what it is. I think it's 10, maybe 15 bucks. But um, you can either drop off a soil sample for them or... Uh, for an additional fee. I think she, she'll she even come out and do a soil test for you. And that really helps you get uh, started on knowing what's gonna work in your, in your garden. Um, there's, not to get too technical, but there's soil and there's dirt. <laughs> dirt is not really a technical term, but it's really, I think, a more applicable vocabulary word for what we have in the built environment, what mm-hmm. we have in this urban landscape. So, um, and you know, you get a lot more of that rock and miscellaneous crap so um, starting with a soil test can really help you get knowing what's going to work and what you might need to augment to get a good garden
4: we always encourage people to educate themselves too there are lots of great garden books out there um, books about native plants books about how to attract pollinators and birds to your uh, to your yard uh and they're fun to read and it's always nice to know something about your own yard so you can maintain it and you can add to it rather than just uh, putting it all in the hands of of a landscape company absolutely
5: so what are some indicators that maybe you have really good soil or things that maybe you've done to your yard that maybe are a red flag for you that like oh maybe there are things i would really need a soil test before i got a garden going or put Efforts in like what would be some signs that your yard isn't so good.
2: Well, I mean, just looking at the uh, the flourishment of what's already there. You know, if you if your grass is super spotty and uh, you know in rough conditions, maybe that maybe you have more of a rocky terrain. You know, it's uh in recent times it's become less common but uh when subdivisions were going in for a while there'd be it, it was common to scrape off the topsoil and sell it cuz developers could sell the soil and I, I know it sounds like a odd concept but um and now you remove that topsoil which has your nutrient material in it and you're getting down into clay or we got a very limey soil here um, and thanks to the limestone and so you just uh, your acidity and everything you're going to get different than if you had that topsoil. so not as common anymore but those are kind of some of the things to just look at what's growing already and what's it looking like you know and maybe it's not necessarily a soil thing, it could be an invasive problem, something that's above the soil that, oh, there's nothing growing underneath these shrubs. Well, that's because they're honeysuckle I'm or <laughs> or yeah. something of that nature.
3: Absolutely. We've all seen sort of the the, the death zone under an Asian bush honeysuckle where um, the, because uh, uh, they absorb so much light, it's very dark underneath, as well as they re- release allelopathic chemicals that keep other plants from growing. So it can really Pretty much eliminate um, the any sort of plants that you have growing alongside those shrubs.
1: Doing the gardening show today, folks, we'd love to hear from you if you have any questions for our panel. Give us a call at 812 855 0811 or toll free at 877 285 9348. And I know that traditionally, one question we often get on this particular program involves mulch. How much to use? How many bags do I need to cover a certain area? Who has any good mulch tips for our listeners out there?
4: I can speak to mulch. Um, We typically use wood chip mulch. It's uh, much healthier for the soil, healthier for the plants. Um, It breaks down more slowly and it breaks down much better. It doesn't create that heavy mat effect that bark mulch uh, does create over the course of the summer. Um, and it's generally cheaper, and you can get it by the yard. Um, I, I really don't like it, I don't like to see bags of mulch because we don't know where they've been brought in from, we don't know what's in them, especially if they've been dyed or sprayed with, with chemicals. Um, we don't know what those chemicals are, um, and we don't know how long they've been sitting in these anaerobic conditions. So if you can get your mulch delivered um, straight to your driveway in you know, bulk yardage, uh, that's gonna be the healthiest mulch that you can use. And then, don't use too much of it. Don't pile it up against your trees, um, and use the bagel, not the volcano. We, if people want to know more about that, I can certainly explain it in greater...
1: Uh, I'm a little curious about the bagel and the
4: volcano. <laughs> so, so when you pile it, well, you just look around town and you still see the volcano mulching, which is piled up right up against the chunk of the tree quite far up in the form of a volcano um with a tree in the middle Uh, that's very harmful for the tree in many ways Um, and the preferred way really is to create a bagel or donut around the tree so the mulch isn't touching the bark it's um but it's still uh creating a, a mulch circle around the tree that will hold in water and will suppress weeds it's just not uh creating those infestation conditions against the bark that the volcano mulch does the more you know
5: So, what's the difference between this wood chip mulch and someone like mulching their leaves and putting it around their yard? What's the, what? Like, what's the difference in quality? Are those kind of the same types of strategies? You're talking to someone who doesn't garden.
4: <laughs> shredded leaves are great. Um, it's just very hard to have enough of them, find enough of them in order to cover your whole lawn, or not your lawn, but your, the beds in your yard, unless you have a very small yard. But if you have a very small yard, you probably don't have a whole lot of shredded leaves. Um, but definitely use your leaves. Don't send them out to the city to pick up. You know, shred your leaves with a lawn mower or a weed trimmer and uh, put those on your beds over the winter or just leave them, even better, leave them in place on your beds because they, they provide very important habitat for overwintering insects. Mm-hmm.
5: Do you guys use any of the leaves that the city picks up or any of the compost?
4: No, I'm, I'm wary of that because we don't know what's in those bags, mm. uh, what people have put out, whether it's weed seed or whether it's sprayed uh, with chemicals, um, so we, we don't do that, now.
1: Okay. We did get a question from a listener. David uh, would like to know if we have any idea when the last frost is expected this year.
2: Well, um, I think that even if weathermen could predict that they would be billionaires. Um, But, uh, you know, we have uh, what are called like our frost free dates or frost out dates. Um, For our area here, we can expect that usually middle of April. Um, that being said you know we've had snow in late April before Um, so you know I'd say somewhere between April 15th April 30th um, it's expected in there in that range Um, we do fall you know that kind of gets into the conversation about plant hardness zones Mm -hmm. Um, and we do fall kind of on the northern edge of uh, zone 6 into zone 5 and so sometimes that date can be later, sometimes that date can be earlier. Um, and that kinda also can translate into the conversation about native plants and, you know, some of these plants that we're, we're, you can find at some garden centres and box stores that might be good for sown six, but they have, we have hard freezes like we did at Christmas time that that plant is toast because it was six was its limit. so. Um, but to answer the question directly, it's, I'd say, April 15th, to April 30th, somewhere in there. Okay, cool. So going on native versus invasive
1: plants, I'm kind of curious to talk to Ellen about this. If someone knows they have an invasive tree, let's say, in their yard or an invasive plant, um, what do they got to do to get rid of it? Do they have to call somebody? Do they just deal with it themselves? You know, what do they, what do they have to do?
3: Well, if they call or, or email MC Iris, you know we'll come out and we'll advise them. But in the end, it does come down to the individual landowner figuring out what invasive species they've got and f- removing them. And that's the kind of guidance we can give, the best methods to actually kill uh, an invasive species. so um, you know, that, that's one way to go. And as I said, we will also talk about native landscaping. And so let's use an example. You may have noticed this white flowering tree out there all around Bloomington. Yeah. Right, right. It's called the parent species is called Calorie Pear. That's what we usually refer to it as, and it has many, many cultivars. The most popular one is Bradford. So Bradford is one type of a Calorie Pear. There's also Cleveland Select and Aristocrat and Chanticleer, and there's dozens of different Calorie Pears. And when those different cultivars get near each other, which they're doing all over Bloomington, they then cross-pollinate and produce fruits, and so they have these little, smaller than an inch brown fruits, and even though this is an ornamental pear, these are not edible pears. These are pears that are uh, hard, they hit the ground, and then after a frost they turn to goo on sidewalks <laughs> and make it really slippery. Smelly. And smelly. And, and the flowers are incredibly smelly as well, and that's what's going on right now. If you go up to any of those pretty white flowering trees and you take a sniff, it's like rotting fish. Mm-hmm. And the bigger problem with calorie pears is that it's highly invasive, and we're seeing that just play out across the landscape in Monroe County going along all the roads. You see all these little trees with the white flowers. Those are the baby calorie pears that are coming from people's yards. So, MC Iris started a program last year, and it was so popular we're continuing it this year. We're giving out free native trees, good sized native trees, five gallon, seven gallon uh, root ball, to anybody who agrees to cut out a calorie pair from their yard. And oh, wow. the, the details are on mc iris.org. Um, and we've got a selection of different native trees that are all sort of small stature, like calorie pear is. Uh, and uh, those details are on our website. So we encourage everybody if you've got a calorie pear, kill it, and we will reward you with a free tree.
5: So, what would you say to someone to convince them if they've had this pear tree in their mm. yard for like 15 years, they've planted it, paid money for it, let it grow? Yeah. Um, how would you convince them that this is really something that they should be doing?
3: Boy, that's a good question because people get emotional about their plants. You do, you You put in your time, your blood, your sweat, digging the hole, watering it and everything else. I'd start with, you know, just looking at the big picture, it is causing problems. We are spending millions of dollars at this point trying to control the calorie pear that is taking over the landscape in Indiana, and we can bring it right back to trees and yards that are causing that problem. So from the big picture, it'd be good to help out everybody by removing it. But another a couple other things. Calorie pear by its nature has very weak, brittle wood and bad branch architecture. So by the time it's 15, 20 years old, they almost always split. Whenever we have a big windstorm in the Bloomington area, you can go around the next day and you will see all the calorie pears that split. And then you're going to have to take that down. You're going to have to replace it anyway. And many of the calorie pear, you can look and see how close they are to houses that if it splits and hits your house, now you have a real problem. So, I mean, that's from my perspective,
4: reasons to get rid of it. Yeah, but you know, uh, uh, understanding the difference between natives and non-native invasives is, uh, it involves kind of a paradigm shift, shift, because, you know, most gardeners and tree enthusiasts, they wanna see trees up. They don't wanna cut down their trees. Um, but the essence of gardening really is, if you think about it, removing plants that are undesirable so that desirable plants can come up in their place and be nurtured and, and have that soil space and air space. So removing the weedy trees like calorie Pear and uh, Tree of Heaven, um, <laughs> you don't need a lot of encouraging to get rid of Tree of Heaven because it smells so bad, mm-hmm. um, uh, is, is so important so that native trees, especially oaks, which support so many different species of um, insect and, and thus other uh, wildlife, especially birds, uh, can flourish. It's it's um, it's a it's a new way of thinking, but it's the essential way of thinking if we're going to be responsible gardeners and if we're going to take into account the the uh, current planetary environmental crisis um, as we garden.
2: Well, and I think uh, kind of going off of that, you know, part of why these invasives have become such a problem is because they were showy and. Fancy and looked cool and everybody got excited about Brad Ferpero. It's got this white flower. It's so pretty. I mean If you look at a picture of it 20 years ago, everybody loved it. Every, you know, it's beautiful But when you get down to the nitty-gritty of it, it's it there's at least I find no benefits of it <laughs> at all um, and We have a lot of natives that they still flower. They still have those um Beautifying qualities—they're just not as showy. They're not—they're not the a superstar walking down the red carpet. They're maybe the superstar's side model. I don't know. Um, but uh, and like tulip tree is one of the great examples, which is actually the state tree um, or yellow poplar, tulip poplar goes by a lot of different names. You know, it's got a beautiful this yellowish, greenish tulip-looking flower that's gorgeous now it happens for that flower is only there for a very short period of time and it, you get such a tall tree it gets lost in the view unless it hits the ground then you find it and you're like oh my gosh look at this thing where'd it come from half the people forget to even look 30 feet up above them mm-hmm. um and that is such an important plant and an important tree from its flower for the pollen the pollinators uh birds hummingbirds so many things in our native world in nature um, need it, but but it gets lost in the conversation of planting trees because instead we're talking about, oh, what's going to look best? And indirectly that conversation switches to Bradford pears and um, honeysuckles and um, burning bush was mentioned. You know, Mm -hmm. people got excited about this red bush that looks so cool, you know. So, but, but, but you know, it's interesting though that um, once
4: you know, your eyes change. Yeah, your you vision. You when you see yeah. when you see the burning bush, it's no longer a pretty uh, red in the fall. Yeah. you you hate it um, because you know what it does. Yeah, uh, my,
2: <laughs> that's what uh, I, I joke. My my wife and I are both foresters. She's and uh, whenever we go for hikes or anything, it uh, you almost can't go for hikes in some of these city parks or places that are so full of invasives, because it's like this, it just makes you like antsy. It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, it'd be like sitting in a classroom with uh, nails on a chalkboard constantly going. That's, uh, that's so it yeah, it, it just, it becomes, once you learn, once you find them and you drive down the interstate and you see Bradford pear or Calorie pear everywhere and it's like, oh my Lord, yeah. I would never want one of those in my yard. I'd cut it as soon as I bought the house if there was one. <laughs> so. well,
3: and a good example of, I think I, I think you're right, your eyes change in a way and the Bradford pear just sort of hits you with those white flowers, but a fantastic alternative is serviceberry, mm-hmm. which is just about to open. So it's, it's at the same flowering schedule. The flowers are actually bigger. The petals are twice as long. They're just not as dense as the mm-hmm. calorie pears. And serviceberry provides all of the, the, the berries, they're edible those, you can actually make pies out of. Um, And uh, lots of insects are using it. Birds are eating the berries. And so service berry is one of the species that we're giving away free if you cut down your calorie pair.
1: There you go. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. We're talking gardening. We'd love to hear your questions if you and the community have any. Give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-934. Four, eight. We do have a couple uh, questions being submitted to us, and this one's really pertinent to what we're talking about now about barberry bushes. Are those considered invasive?
3: Highly invasive. Mm-hmm. Those, those are one of the species that are now illegal to buy, sell, plant transport in Indiana because of the terrestrial plant rule that was passed in 2021. And so, yeah, Japanese barberry, if you walk in places like Brown County State Park and Morgan Monroe State Forest, you will be surprised to see out there barberries getting established. And again, it's birds eating the berries from barberries in landscaping and moving them out into the woods. Mm -hmm. So that one is a big enough threat that it's now illegal.
4: And if you like the look of that, that purple look um, and you want something without those horrible thorns uh, that is native, ninebark, which comes in several purple varieties, is a great alternative.
2: And it also has a very globe-like uh, white flower that mm-hmm. uh, it takes a little bit longer. That's a, our natives take a little bit longer to flower. They're not like the horticultural... Plants we bring from other places um, that will flower year one, but, uh, but yeah, nine bark's a great replacement and it, and it's great for native habitat. You know, our, our, our native pollinators need that, so. Absolutely.
5: What about the ginkgo tree? I love their little fan <laughs> leaves. This is just came to my head because I loved playing with those as a kid
4: it's it's not invasive that's great um, it's right? beautiful <laughs> uh it's uh smelly if, if there's if, if the berries yeah. are there if it's a female variety um but you know there's so many beautiful native trees as well mm-hmm. that give you just as wonderful fall foliage so um if you have a choice um go native Ginkgo is very tough though so i have to give it credit for that um it's mm-hmm. a good street tree the other submitted question we had uh, was asking about
1: specific plants. I have some seeds from a cleome or a spider plant. When should I put these in the ground? Anyone know? Anyone know?
3: Well, cleome is a, a common um, annual plant. Uh, I think it's called spider plant because mm-hmm. the lead, those flowers kind of look like spiders, okay. real dangly. Yeah. I'm trying to think when I would normally, I mean, you could be starting them indoors right now mm-hmm. to get small plants that you could plant out, but normally, then you're not planting out until mm-hmm. Mother's Day or so mm-hmm. around here.
4: Um, it does reseed re- itself, um, yeah. and yeah. so you could just throw it into your yard, and you'll have more than you ever wanted. Uh, it's it's pretty prolific.
2: Well, and I think uh, a lot of times people go to the work of collecting seeds, and then they try to cold stratifying themselves and then they get they try to do all this extra work especially if you have something that's uh, native to our environment it'll do it itself just you know you can go to the work of collecting the seeds just go ahead and throw them right back in the soil that same day you know throw them in the soil in the fall when you collected them and it in the example of spider plant it'll do it. It'll do the work itself you know we, we've been talking
1: a lot about uh, invasive plants not native plants I want to kind of shift it a little bit to uh, animals. So I'm curious if anyone has any ideas for what are the best ways to prevent animals from interfering with people's gardens without hurting the animal?
4: <laughs> we all, I'm sure, have many thoughts on the deer and the rabbits. I don't know who should begin.
2: Um, I, you know, that, that is a, uh, to me, it's a two-fold question. Um, the, uh nature natural resource perspective of me says well hey we are in their environment you know so if you love hostas deer love hostas too so maybe you shouldn't plant hostas or maybe plant them inside of your fenced-in area things like that i don't know um so it's like you know maybe and that also i know we're trying to move away from the native comment by your question but You know a lot of the natives can handle deer browse they can handle rabbit browse because they grew up you know they they came through the same same uh natural areas so but uh in terms of keeping the animals out I mean the fencing might be some of the best option um but there's really there's there's no clear all option sure is there
5: anything that you can like plant around that your other plants that is maybe not as tasty to it or something like that all
4: these tricks sound really cool um but they generally do not they rarely work um even the sprays which are awfully good um they certainly keep us away they're so smelly most of them um won't really keep the deer away if the deer are hungry enough especially this time of year um, or if they have become used to that spray they'll go ahead and eat your yeah. the, only, the only real way to protect your plants is through physical barriers uh, you can choose plants that are less likely to get eaten but even that's not a reliable guide because the tastes change by the year, they taste by the neighborhood, Uh, they they change by the neighborhood, they change by the individual deer. So you just cannot predict their tastes. So I would recommend physical barrier if at all possible. And you can either cage plants individually, which can be kind of clunky in looks, or you can put up a whole fence around your property or around the area that you want to protect, which is expensive. So you know, the deer and the rabbits are are a big problem and there's no easy solution and uh it does get expensive.
1: Sure. We do have a guest uh that's actually wanted to come on air to ask this questions, so I'm gonna have that come on. Hello, Sarah, are you there?
4: Yeah, I I realized just after I talked to you that, that uh, or after I called that that you were already starting to answer that question.
1: Well, that's okay. We always like to have another voice on the show. So uh, what was your question?
4: No, no, my question was what will the deer not eat? Uh, You know, (laughs) I live in in the Elm Heights neighborhood and the deer are eating uh, everything they're eating. The wildflowers that I brought in from the woods, for instance. And about Uh, the only thing they don't eat is is, uh, daffodils. And and, uh, I think the tulips are all gone.
3: Yeah. yeah, it's it's really hard. Um, we, I, I think that Ramsey is right in saying that physical barriers are about the only way around it. There is a That's great
1: up for me, yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. There's a great list on the city of Bloomington website that lists landscaping plants that are less vulnerable to deer. But it's when you get enough deer and they get hungry enough, they're going to eat anything. Mm-hmm. And and I'm afraid that in parts of Bloomington, the numbers of deer are just So high that the deer are starving, and Mm -hmm. it's really unfortunate.
4: Yeah, those lists you have to take with a grain of salt.
1: I'll just feed deer.
4: I'll just feed deer. deer. (laughs) Well, two or three really reliable natives that we have found to be almost deer proof are coral berry, uh, fragrant sumac, which can grow low or high, um, and inkberry, uh, which is a native ilex or holly. Um, those are good, reliable deer, almost deer-proof uh, plants that you might look into.
5: Thank you. What about planting something as sort of a scapegoat to keep the deer away from at length? <laughs> Putting something that's super appetizing on one end of your yard to hopefully distract them from your more important yeah, stuff. Yeah,
4: they'll appreciate that. They'll they'll enjoy that and then they'll move on to the rest yeah. of the stuff. Yeah, oh, they'll okay. appreciate
2: that once that's gone. they Now you have, because, you know, it kind of goes to the conversation of carrying capacity. You know, you've attracted them to this buffet um, over mm-hmm. here. Now that buffet is gone, mm-hmm. but the deer are still in that. They're used to coming and feeding that in mm-hmm. that yard. So, you know, let's say you're you love sushi, and uh, you go your favorite sushi place turns into a uh, burger joint, but there are no other restaurants on that street. You're already there. Are you going to go ahead and? drive to another place, or are you gonna go ahead and go in and eat a burger? Because, well, I still like burgers. I've wanted sushi, but I still like burgers, you know, so.
3: Well, and I'll say that I I garden with a lot of natives, and I have a really dry bed where nothing else will grow. So there's lots of prickly pear and the false agave that's native Mm -hmm. to Southern Indiana. And this year, for the first time, the deer got hungry enough, they <laughs> ate the prickly pear. Wow. They, they pawed it out of the ground and then gnawed on it, and they ate all of the false agave rosettes. So, for anybody hungry. that's wow.
2: not familiar, prickly pear is a cactus. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. That, you, like, you think of your uh, roadrunner cactus ear shaped with all the little. Thorns. Yeah, that is what a prickly pear is.
4: <laughs> the junipers, the red cedar and other native junipers, are pretty deer resistant as well. Um, and, of course, there are trees. Once the trees are big enough, they are fairly immune to deer damage as long as you put a bark guard on. That's an important caveat because the deer in the fall love to rub for various reasons on trees um, especially smaller caliper trees and so put a bark guard um, a loose-fitting bark guard not the wraparound and um, uh, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be okay but plant big you know um, botanically or, or horticulturally it's better to plant small but if you plant small uh, the deer and the rabbit will demolish what you've planted so plant uh, trees and shrubs as big as you possibly can. So,
5: for people who are renting in the like in Monroe County, that's a lot of people. What are some good things that you can grow, maybe in a pot or like in an extended bed, for people who don't have yards but are interested in doing like a little bit more formidable than a I, house plant?
2: I think um, some of the best uh, pot growing is, oh, that sounds really wrong. <laughs> Some of the most, best potted plant growing um, is, you know, your your herbs, um, rosemary, mm-hmm. uh, basil, that stuff. It grows quick. You can use it in your gar- your kitchen. You know, you're getting to added satisfaction out of it because you get to make fresh pesto for dinner and things like that. Um, and it doesn't take up much space, it doesn't get very big. And with a lot of herbs, if it starts to get too big and you're not using it, you just snip it off, throw it in your compost, it'll keep growing. So those are that's some of the best stuff. That being said, tomatoes can also grow great in pots. you know you got to make sure you know you're giving a large enough pot for a single tomato. But, uh, but there's a lot of great, simple garden plants that can do well in pots uh, on the back deck, on the patio, things like that. So. Assuming
4: you have the sun and you don't have the deer. <laughs> because the
2: deer <laughs> will come up on your deck.
4: Oh, yeah.
1: Um, this is the annual gardening show on Noon Edition, WFIU. Give us a call. We're in the last 15 minutes or so of the show at 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 877-285-9348. Um, Benta?
5: Well, so what are some good plants to start gardening with? So if someone is listening to this and has become inspired, what are some first time plants to go with if they maybe don't have the energy to bring someone out to do a soil test?
4: It depends on the kind of gardening you want to do. If you want to do vegetable gardening, if you want to do herb gardening, if you want to do cut flower gardening, or if you want to landscape your house, or if you want to, fill your woods with beautiful flowers it, it, it all it all really depends and so to get into specifics we need to first identify what the objective is.
5: Okay well let's say um, they want to have flowers for the spring.
1: We want to beautify that yard.
3: Mm-hmm. okay well for me how I started was I saw the beautiful flowers in the woods and I saw what grew really well that was in my you know the same soil that I had in my garden. And so I started collecting seeds and growing uh, things like um, Phacelia and um, heart-leaved golden ragwort is one of the classics that you can find anywhere, like go into a city park or something and you're going to see it. It's a really, really common um, native plant and it has gorgeous yellow flowers, purple buds that break open into bright yellow and um, they'll be in bloom. They've got the purple buds right now, they'll be in bloom in the next two weeks. And um, just a gorgeous plant that has evergreen rosettes of leaves that are there all winter. So, kind of look around and see what you see that's growing out in nature that you like. Learn what it is. Uh, you can do that. We have the MC Iris puts on a lot of work days where people can come out. We'll identify plants, teach people about them, and then you know where you can uh, you can buy them locally. Some places have good native plants. MC Iris has a big nat- native plant sale in September. So um, just sort of hook into what's available out there and what you see growing successfully in nearby properties.
2: I think, uh, and kind of what Ellen hit on there by seeing what's gonna work in your yard, I think that can be even just as important, if not more important than your plant selection. You know, don't, if you're a first time gardener or just getting started, be cognizant of light levels, moisture, um, and don't try to plant something that is sun loving in your backyard when you have a very thick over overhanging canopy from trees and things like that. You know, And your water source, um, a lot of times, first time uh, produce gardeners, they get too ambitious. They want 10 plants of cucumbers, 10 plants of tomatoes, 10, and before you know it, you're spending three hours every night trying to weed this and you get burnt out and you never want to garden again. Um, so, you know, start small, start small and with just a few plants and maybe just say, hey, I'm going to try and do tomatoes really well. And there's plenty of gardeners out there. Or you, maybe you're even your neighbors that maybe, you know, Alan's growing great cucumbers, Ramsey's growing great uh, uh, tomatoes and I got peppers and we'll trade, you know, and do things like that. So, um, but uh, big thing is just, you're thinking about what's, what is my yard, what's gonna work, and then tailoring the plant to fit there. Because if you're just willy-nilly picking plants to go in your yard, you're always going to struggle if the plant doesn't want to be there in the first
4: place. There's a lot to be said for trial and error too. Every good gardener <laughs> has made a lot of bad mistakes. <laughs> and so you have to start somewhere, try to see what works, see what conditions, your, your, what, what kind of growth your yard supports and do it better next year. What yeah. are
5: some of the biggest challenges, oops, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but what are some of the biggest challenges that gardeners are going to face this type of year? Is it like flooding or?
2: This time of year, um, definitely we have, uh, we definitely have a high water table right now. We've got a lot of rain recently, as you guys can see when you drive down 46 or just about anywhere around. Um, but right now, the kind of going back to the question that was asked at the beginning of the show, you know, is uh, getting too eager, you know, mm-hmm. yesterday, last night, yesterday evening was a beautiful day to be out in the yard. That being said, you know, think about pruning your oak trees that do better in dormancy than pruning. Think about uh, start doing some hand tillage for your garden bed, but don't start planting just yet because that the, the minute you throw out plants before our last frost, uh, is the minute that you had to replant everything (laughs) and nobody nobody wants to replant their garden or nobody wants to plant their garden twice so but it's
4: so true people get very excited about putting out their uh, tomatoes as soon as it's a warm day and and be very conservative with your tomato planting Uh, if if you plant them too early um, even of course if it's above uh, freezing they'll they'll survive but they'll just sort of sit there and sulk, and they'll have a hard time getting ramping up and getting going when conditions are actually right for them. So wait until it's really, really warm for your tomatoes and peppers.
1: I kind of I have a question submitted by me. Uh, <laughs> curious about uh, general lawn maintenance. I'm looking at, at like my yard's really patchy. I have some spots that are growing faster than others. And I've asked people around kind of a general how do I come at how do I come at this project? And to some, it sounds like a three-year, four-year deal. What do you? What's your guys's take? Do you think that there's um, a large buy-in to a project like that, trying to to revamp a yard, or what, what do you think? Are you
3: talking specifically about? Turf?
1: Turf, yeah. turf okay. specifically.
3: Yeah, for me, I'd say put it into garden beds. <laughs> kind of. For me, yeah. turf is a waste of space, mm-hmm. and yeah. it ends up using lots of water and lots of chemicals, and what do you get from it? It, you know, it looks nice, I guess, when you're driving by, but it doesn't provide anything for any other living creature. So I don't know. I'm not the one to ask, definitely.
2: <laughs> um, I think, uh, and again, I'm going to speak from personal opinion kind of like Ellen, you know, personally, I think yellow flowers in my grass looks cool. I am I have no problem with the dandelion being out there. You know, I'm not going to go out there and spray it, uh, waste my pocketbook on buying herbicide for treating some of those miscellaneous plants. Um, leave some of those little spring ephemerals or those little wildflowers that want to pop up on occasion. Um, let them be. You know, if your yard is patchy, that's just you're producing pollen. Uh, Kentucky bluegrass, when it is cut at three inches, it does not create habitat for anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, um, but that being said, that is not the opinion of the, the whole community. Uh, there's a lot of people that love their yard. And, um, you know, and so it is, does take work to have that manicured golf course look. Um, a lot of times, it requires a lot of uh, added uh, fungicides or herbicides, and um, it, it's an investment. Grasses are naturally um, kind of clonal, so in time they will start choking out those other things. But you also create a monoculture and. As we know from a lot of different uh, events, when you have monocultures, you usually start introducing diseases and things like that. So it's uh, twofold. It becomes, do I want the patchiness and little little to no maintenance? Or do I want to put a lot of work into creating this beautiful uh, Augusta National look in my yard with continued work for years to come.
4: Sure. I mean, if you have patchiness after a whole lot of work that you've put into your yard and you've tried and tried and tried, that may be a sign from the gardening gods that (laughs) that area should not be in grass. Um, And there are a lot of reasons not to have your lawn in grass. Even if you have a healthy uh, lawn, we'd like to see you turn more of it into uh, wildlife-friendly native beds. Um, so so think about turning that patchy area or the, that uh, mossy area into a, an actual uh, planting bed and put in some uh, native plants, perennials, shrubs, trees, and uh, you'll certainly attract a lot more uh, what we call charismatic wildlife, the pollinators, the, the bees, the birds, the birds um, even some small mammals, foxes will show up, if you're lucky, um, it's, it's a whole new uh, dimension to gardening when you include the wildlife, and it's very gratifying. What are, oh, sorry. We have about five minutes left,
1: so I just want to ask maybe a couple quick questions. Um, one, and this one might not, might not be quick, but I'm curious, You and you mentioned it just then, and I, I want to hear from our other guests a little bit about the importance of proper gardening. I mean, not only does it look good, but it also provides a lot of benefits to the local environment. So, kind of tell me a little bit about why people should be concerned about proper gardening.
3: Well, gardening—I um, think we all do it because we absolutely love it. We get something out of it, but why not get something out of it for yourself, but also provide for the whole mm-hmm. network of life? Because if you're if you're gardening with native plant species, you're going to see on the leaves of those species holes because there's insects eating those plants. And then the birds are coming and they're eating those insects. And so by incorporating native plants and sort of gardening for the bigger picture, you're just going to be providing so much more and you're going to end up getting so much more enjoyment because you're going to see more wildlife, you're going to see more pollinators and and everything else. And you're also using a lot less water once it's established, and a lot less chemical, a lot less chemicals to um, to try and maintain it. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of advantages.
2: Edward, well, and you know, one of the um, hot topics or important topics that are, uh, especially the city of Bloomington, but uh, Monroe County. Uh, planning department and those people um, really have to talk about a lot is uh, water runoff, rainwater runoff, and uh, our watersheds. And um, one of the big, you know, biggest components being non imperme- impermeable surfaces like road, uh, roads and parking lots and stuff like that. But another big impact is our lawns. And having those native plants, native shrubs, grasses, trees that are going to be uptaking that water, that can help that whole system so much. And uh, kind of what uh, what Alan was talking about too, but um, but the other thing I like to uh, comment about with people is, um, you know, in throughout the U.S., we spend uh, we as a population spend a lot of money feeding birds, um, and I'm a bird guy myself. I, I you know, that being said, bird feed is is not cheap, and <laughs> in recent years, it's gone even higher. I would rather take the um, bird budget and put it into native plants that will continue to grow that bird food for years to come, as long as I maintain them, and give them more habitat. Now I'm not just giving them a bird feeder full of cracked corn and sunflower seeds. I'm giving them grasses to nest in. I'm giving them grass seeds to eat. I'm giving them shrubs to to hide in, uh, berries, things like that. So just you're, you're helping the whole ecosystem and you're also getting the reward of getting to garden and sit back and enjoy the swallows, swing around and uh, eat the bugs that are hitting your stuff, so.
1: Absolutely, Ramsey, anything else to
4: add to that conversation? Um, so so with with gardening with natives, uh, Ellen has put her finger on a very important uh, challenge for uh, gardeners people who've been gardening a long time don't want to see bugs on their trees they don't want to see bugs in their yard because we've been conditioned to think of bugs as being uh, damaging and they are if they are um, out of control non-natives like japanese beetles Um, but in fact if you have a healthy ecosystem in your yard um, you're going to have a lot of holes in your landscaping and that's a good thing because it means there are insects there that are under control because uh, they're 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 enjoying the food that they're evolved to eat, which are the native plants, um, and they're providing food for the birds, which are keeping them under control. Um, so it's all uh, a, a matter of uh, balance and, and uh, having a healthy ecosystem that um, that supports um, all all sort of angles of the of the food chain. Absolutely. Well, guys, I want to say uh, thank you so much for being
1: here, I thought I had, a really, I had a really good time talking about it. I'm sure our listeners had a good time learning a bit more about gardening, so thank you all again for being here. Appreciate it. It's been a pleasure.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having Thanks. us.
1: Absolutely. That's all the time we have for today. I want to thank our guests again for joining us. For my co-host, Benta Boutier, our producer, Nathan Moore, and engineer, Mike Peshkesh. I'm Clayton Baumgarth. Thank you for listening to Noon Edition.
0: Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com.